Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Glenn Nedwin, the CEO and president of SecondGenome.com. Glenn, how are you? Good, good. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, it's an intriguing name, Second Genome. You know, I know that uh, our genome is the uh, genes we carry as, as humans, but um, you know, tell listeners about Second Genome. What do you guys do and what's it about? Yeah, I mean, so the Second Genome is the genome that's inside of you that uh, is basically in all the bacteria in your body. So there's about 100 trillion bacteria inside your GI tract that are keeping you alive. So your genome is your first genome and your DNA cells. Second genome is the, is the genome representing by your bacteria. And that represents probably, I don't know, up to a 10 million genes, whereas your own genome only has 25,000 genes. So these bacteria that have wow. evolved with us are keeping us alive. So in a nutshell, Second Genome is a drug discovery company that has a unique ability to find individual strains of bacteria that are correlated to a healthy or diseased state and then find the molecules they make, meaning proteins, peptides, or metabolites, and use those as drugs to treat disease. Go ahead. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you're looking at the uh, the microbiome inside of a person, and, you know, from the numbers you're saying and the numbers I've heard, so not only do the, uh, the bacteria and viruses and yeast in our body make up, uh, I guess, essentially almost 10 times more cells than our human cells, but you said the genes that they carry and express are nearly uh, 10 times as much as our human genes, right? Yeah, more than 10 or, times. Or, or 100 times, 100 I mean, times. You know, an average bacteria might have 4,000 genes, and you have 100 trillion bacteria in your gut, but no one knows if that is really a million individual strains that are at a concentration of 10 to the eighth per strain, or is there 100,000? <laughs> right, at 10 to the ninth concentration. But regardless, uh, you know, 4,000 per bacteria, that's a lot of genes. Yeah, that's crazy. What, so what does um, uh, an average person's microbiome look like? How many different species of bacteria are in there? And, uh, you know, how many are predominant? I would guess, you know, with the 80-20 rule, there's a few that, that pull most of the levers, or, you know, what have you seen? Yeah, so I, I really have an interesting different view on this in some ways, because in the literature, when people analyze the microbiome, they talk about class, order, family of bacteria going up or down, like Firmicutes or Prevotola. But these are large swaths of bacteria. So even if you had the Bacillus genus, and you had Bacillus subtilis or Bacillus cereus, okay? Bacillus cereus is a genus and species name. And there's a Bacillus cereus, which is a uh, healthful probiotic. But Bacillus okay. anthrax can kill you. So it's very important 
to understand the individual strains of bacteria, not just looking at class order family. Because as I said, you know, you, if, if you want to manipulate bacillus, well, what if you have anthrax in you and you're going to wind up killing yourself? You need to be figuring yeah, out right. what are the individual strains, and that's what our company really focuses on. And I'll even say, even in the individual strains, the variants are important. Like we have a lot of E. coli in us, which keeps us healthy. There's a strain which you know is virulent that will kill you. So it's a small modification huh. to the gene. So how many different uh, strains of bacteria are in an average person? Yeah, nobody knows. I mean, that's the whole thing. We don't know of the hundred trillion. If that's, as I said, is that a million different strains? Or is it 100,000 different strains? Or is it 10,000, right? Yeah, why you, can't you sample someone and sequence the, the genome of all the creatures? You could. The... You could. I mean, it's expensive. Uh, you know, even at the low price of sequencing today, you could sequence a person's genome and get a snapshot what's in there, but you'd have to piece together, you know, all the different uh, metagenome sequences to figure out which bacteria are in there. I mean, it's, it's a heroic undertaking. But I think it, it could be done, and it will be done in the future. That's where the, the whole probably field is going to in the future. You can change these bacteria by what you feed them, right? Mm -hmm. So that's really important. Yeah, I mean, essentially, uh, I've heard you're eating first for your bacteria and then for you, really. So they're your, yeah. uh, they're your audience, you know? Yeah, I mean, the old adage was you are what you eat, but the new one is you are what your bacteria eat. I think that couldn't be more real. So um, if we don't know exactly what's in there, and there's so much in there, how could we ever hope to cause changes in it without worrying that we would, you know, cause harm? What do you do? Well, I think, so So this is a very interesting point you just made. And I think if you're a company that's manipulating the microbiome of a person by giving them other bacteria, there is that issue to wondering about. Are there any other unintended consequences? You have to be careful and understand the safety, but it's also hard to understand what the mechanism is when you're giving, you know, Mixed bacteria, which each individually can make many, many different proteins, peptides, and metabolites, and you're changing the milieu of what's happening inside a person. What our company focuses on actually is quite different than almost every single other microbiome company because we have the ability to find out what bacteria is important and then find out what molecules they make. And then when we uh, make those molecules, they're working on the human host we're not manipulating the human microbiome per se. So, so for example, as you're okay. sitting here talking to me, your bacteria in your gut, there's a lot of them in there that are actually healing your epithelial cell layer in your, in your GI tract right as you're sitting there. I don't know what you ate for lunch, but it may have caused some harm, and naturally your bacteria are healing your gut right now. So in one case, we found out what are these healthy bacteria, and we found proteins they make which can heal your gut in different mechanistic ways, and so if a person, for example, has inflammatory bowel disease where that has run amok, we can give this protein and recapitulate what the entire bacteria does with one protein. And we've done that in animal models and are about to head into the clinic with that. So why do, if, if bacteria, you know, I don't know, thing that heals my gut, why not just add more of that bacteria to me and tell me to consume certain foods or just give me a probiotic that has that strain? Why take yeah. the product of what that bacteria does and give that to me instead. Is it right. better or worse or why? Well, our feeling is, number one, if you do the product, the protein in this case, you, you know, you're really only manipulating the human cells. You don't have to worry what's happening to the rest of the bacteria in your body. If you give the whole mm. bacteria, I mean, we, we've tested in animals, the whole bacteria does work. But what you don't understand or know is what's happening to the rest of the milieu of bacteria in your gut. Is it fighting off some of the other good guys? Is it, you know, is it being harmed by the bad bacteria in you? And the other thing is, unless you understand what the bacteria eats, 
in terms of its, uh, you know, very specific diet, the uh, you will probably not colonize your gut. So that's like no, a normal probiotic, right? You take it, it has some effect, right. and then you poop it out. You have to take it again every day. So if you want it to colonize, you need to understand not only what it eats, but you need to understand the consortia composition because bacteria do not live alone most of the time in the environment. They live with their neighbors. And so one makes a product the other one needs and so on and so forth. So it's a real community that you need to understand. So that's very interesting, and that's where the field is heading. It's just a little bit one step more complicated than what we're doing. We're going after the molecule. Once we find it, we don't care what the bacteria are doing. We just focus on using that molecule to uh, cure the or treat the human host. But, yeah, one thing that came to mind, um, you know, again, if it's, a, uh, it's protein X, you know, do I take it in a pill form? And if I do, well, now it goes right back into my gut. So what if um, the bacteria that makes protein X now says, oh, there's so much of it, we don't have to make any more, and they, they stop making it? Or let's say another bacteria eats protein X, and now all of a sudden that proliferates because there's a huge abundance of it. You know, do you have right. any interactions like that that make this difficult to, to make work? Yeah, I mean, so that's things that will have to be further um, investigated over time, but we don't see that happening right now. We see that these mm-hmm. proteins are really interacting with human uh, receptors on different cells, not on bacterial cells. But it is something that, you know, would have to be probably further evaluated going down the road. Yeah, I'm not trying to beat you up over it. It just sounds so complicated now that you've explained some of the factors. It's like, boy, how's anyone going to figure this out? It's crazy. Yeah, but I, I look at it like, so first of all, there's a redundancy in your gut. So of the one protein that we're, we're proposing that's going to go in the clinic, you know, there are other bacteria in your gut which heal your epithelial cell layer in different ways. We've already found 14 different proteins that mechanistically work differently that can all heal your gut. So, you know, there's a redundancy, I guess the point is, a redundancy in your in, in the human system. You know, it, it, from the okay. natural uh, flora that's in there, it's not happening by one protein. But what we can show mm. is if you're in a disease state and you basically either don't have this bacteria or you have very little of it, if you can then give back the protein that it makes, you can get a healing of your gut. We've shown that really, really nicely in animal models. Yeah, can you give me any specifics? What were the conditions that you wanted to treat and what happened when you gave them, you know, a protein yeah. or multiple proteins to, to help them? Yeah, so there are certain models where, you know, you disturb the, uh, the epithelial cell layer and then if you feed uh, an animal a labeled compound, it winds up in its bloodstream. And so if you give this protein, it actually heals it so you don't see any of the... Uh, labeled compound in the blood. We've compared that to, you know, molecule that's on the on the, on the market. And this one protein does as good or better than what's currently out there. Okay. So you, you take an animal, you're giving it leaky gut, I guess, as a, yeah. is the way to call it. Right. And then you're giving this protein, you see the leak stops because it, it doesn't show the leaky stuff in the blood. Correct. Stream. Correct. And you can look at the histology and see that the uh, is repair of the tissue. So, uh, yeah, why have you guys chosen to focus on, if you are focusing on I guess, leaky gut syndrome or damage to the the gut lining. Why is that so important? Even though it's obvious to you, I just want to tell listeners, you know, why is it so important to have a, a good gut lining? Oh, it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, we call it the barrier function, right? It's the epithelial cell layer in your gut is the barrier between the food you eat that goes through your whole alimentary canal and the inside of your body. And so your barrier is getting dis- 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 disrupted every day from everything minimal, like you had a bad hamburger, to you're stressed out about your family or your work, to, um, you know, you took an antibiotic, or 
you have really bad disease. You have ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, but people that have chronic kidney disease, diabetes, and you know, get, are on chemotherapy all have mm-hmm. disruptions of their barrier in their gut. So keeping it healthy is really um, a big focus, I would say, of medicine that's coming in now that people didn't pay that much attention to before. There were really no good drugs to treat it. We've been able to find, you know, the natural molecules that are in healthy people that do this on a daily basis. So, it's, you know, it looks quite promising. So um, with the animals you tested, you administer the proteins and then their gut stopped leaking essentially. And um, did was it just that conditions went away or did the animal become even healthier than before? What do you think will happen in people when you administer this stuff? I think there's a potential to heal their barrier, which would then really reduce a lot of symptoms. And again, it depends on, there are many different diseases and conditions I just mentioned. But I, I, it, has a, it has a possibility to heal for sure and potentially cure um, a disease. Because, you know, your barrier, if it's an intact, you're basically going to stop it from, uh, you know, having various bacterial components and other food elements get into your system. Is this going to be a free pass where you just eat what you want, or you still have to modify your diet oh, and other things to make sure we're? Yeah, I don't. I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're going to get a free pass yet. But let's yeah. work on just you know keeping us healthy. Uh, you know when we have a bad situation, and then having a good diet after that. Well, what are some of the first conditions that you are hoping to treat, and then what are your more ambitious yeah. ones that you want sure. to work on later? So our most advanced one is actually a liver disease called NASH called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, and it's probably the next largest silent killer coming out there. So this is a disease of obese people, but not only obese people, people who have a really high-fat diet and high-sugar diet. What happens is you wind up getting fatty acids built up in the liver. Um, you start getting you know, cholesterol deposition. You get cell death. You get inflammation, and you get, you get fibrosis turned on in your liver, so your, your liver becomes like a rock and becomes dead. Right. You need either a transplant or you die. And so, you know, it's estimated that in this, at least in this country, 30% of the people are obese and probably 10 to 15% are going to get this disease. It's called NASH. And so there's oh. no drug to approve, to, uh, there's no drug in the market that's approved for NASH yet. And so there are 30 or so compounds in the clinic. And really we have a very safe new mechanism of action drug that we found from the microbiome. So most drugs in the clinic are focusing on stopping or reducing the lipid metabolism component. We're further downstream. We're looking at inflammation and fibrosis. And we've shown with this molecule we have, it's a small molecule, that it can reduce inflammation and fibrosis in both rodent models and in um, non-human primates, so monkeys. Um, And, you know, has a very interesting mechanism that's well-known in the literature for why this would be involved in the disease. So we found the target of this this uh, small molecule from the microbiome analytic. We were studying metabolic disease and studying inflammatory bowel disease, and we noticed that in patients that had disease, there was an inflamed receptor, and bacteria were making bacterial components, which turned on this receptor. So the microbiome analytics pointed us to a human receptor that we then needed to shut down. So we wound up uh, in licensing a small molecule and repurposed from another pharmaceutical company, and it's, it really works great. It's, it's about to go into phase two studies. It's very safe. Been through a phase one study, and it shuts down inflammation and fibrosis, and it is um, really, really an exciting space for the company right now because there's really no other drugs out there that does what this one does through this mechanism. Very interesting. Hmm. Right, and so beyond that, we have the inflammatory bowel uh, disease with the protein I mentioned earlier. Um, right. The first compound we called SGM-1019, 
second one is SG20776. That second one is an actual protein from the bacteria in your gut, which heals your gut. But then we have programs on immuno-oncology, so looking for molecules where we found bacteria in your gut, which make proteins and peptides that will either stimulate your immune system, stimulate your uh, human uh, you know, T cells, which could be useful for uh, being in therapy for checkpoint inhibitors for cancer. We've also found some uh, proteins and peptides which will modulate your cells, which might be useful to reduce uh, an autoimmune disease. And then we have found proteins and peptides which modulate glucose homeostasis, which is quite fascinating. So we found proteins made from the bacteria in your gut and peptides that actually go through the portal vein, they can get to your liver, and they can modulate your glucose levels and, in some cases, stimulate insulin secretion from your pancreas. It's, sure. it's like mind-boggling how much control bacteria have in our, in our systems. It really is. And then we recently got so a grant from the NIH. Can... What's that? Yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So the last thing I was going to say is well, we got, we got a, a grant from the NIH to study autism. So it's been well known in the literature that bacteria in your gut modify behavior, not only in autism, mm. but depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. So we got a nice uh, grant of $2 million to study autism at Stanford University. We're pretty excited wow. about it. That's amazing. What, uh, going back to the, the chemotherapy, you mentioned it. So what happens when people get chemotherapy? I mean, it, it seems to fail a majority of the time. Yeah. What's the uh, role of gut bacteria in, in making right. chemotherapy work or not? What have you found? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's like maybe 30% of the people get respond, and some of those have a lot of side effects, but 70% don't. So hmm. they're are clearly bacterial signatures of people who respond and don't. You can think of maybe the, the, the microbiome bacteria in you as almost like vaccines or adjuvants that can enhance or help a chemotherapeutic drug, right? So we're still really busy studying that because, look, the bacteria can either eat the drug that you uh, take, modify it directly, they can modify it indirectly, or they could just have an effect on your immune system by regulating your immune T cells differently so that you respond or don't respond to this drug. And this is a big, big focus of not only our company, but I'd say the medical field now to figure this out. And I will tell you that we have a collaboration with four big cancer centers around the world. Actually, a press release is coming out soon to look at this, look at the effects of the microbiome on enhancing, you know, cancer chemotherapies. It is amazing. The more I learn about it, the more I see it affects. It's just unbelievable, you know. Yeah, I, it, it, it really blows my mind because, you know, we used to think that, like, we were sterile, but we're not. Yeah, we have a yeah. lot of bacterial components in us that are actually helpful, right? It's only when it, something goes awry that you get disease or an exacerbation of disease. But for the most part, if you're healthy, you need to thank the 100 trillion bacteria in your gut. <laughs> what about, uh, are there any places out there that are looking to, to help people with common problems that they take antibiotics for right now? I know antibiotics essentially ravages your gut bacteria. Yeah. You know, I, I see, um, what about a microbiome doctor, I guess you can call them, that, you know, instead of giving you antibiotics, looks at your right. microbiome and says, okay, we see this and that problem, we'll, we'll, we'll treat you according to the microbiome, and that'll fix you instead of having to take an antibiotic that tries to just kill everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely some doctors out there in that field. Um, I think we just don't know enough to really make dramatic effects. However, I will say, I mean, look, there's a lot known about the good effects of probiotics. But probiotics, because they're bacteria, are going to affect people differently. So I think, you know, currently, you know, these microbiome doctors are recommending to repopulate yourself with, with good bacteria, good probiotics. I think that's a good thing. You have to find out which one works for you. 
They don't work the same in everybody, but also they don't colonize the ones that are on the market today. So you have to keep taking them. So I think it's going to be a while before we really get into fully understanding your microbiome and the full analytics to know what strains you need or don't need. I mean, people look at, uh, again, large class order family of, of organisms. And so if you're missing like what's known to be a really healthy segment of your microbiome, possible you can try and, you know, get back good bacteria in there. But at the end of the day, we don't know if you're also adding in bad bacteria or what are the harm you might be. It's an emerging field that's going to have more and more importance. This is the organ that medical school did not teach us about. I'm not a doctor. um... I didn't go to medical school, but I did teach biochemistry in a medical school. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really important. And I think it's, more and more coming into into play here in, in medicine. So what are, um, I mean, you probably already told me, but what are some of the most surprising things that you've discovered that bacteria have the potential or actually do affect in people? To me, one of the most surprising, so, you know, I've, I've been obviously in the field for a long time in the literature, so, but, but the most, so I know a lot of interesting things. I mean, 35,000 publications basically implicates the bacteria in almost every condition in the human body, which is very surprising. But the most surprising thing to me is that we have a lot of bacterial molecules in our bloodstream. They get to our liver and our pancreas. I would have thought that, you know, we're probably more sterile than we are, but we're really not. I think people, when they look at even at microenvironments of disease in the body or tumors in the body, you'll find there are actually bacteria there um, for good or bad. So that's really an eye-opener. Yeah, our... Um... I thought bacteria were, were confined to certain spots in the body, you know, the gut, I guess the large intestine and the colon, um, you know, near the anus and in the mouth. Uh, are they all over your body or are they only in They're really, they're, well, they're all over. I'm not saying there's massive bacteria in your bloodstream, but I will tell you that there are bacterial components, fragments or, or proteins or peptides uh, in your bloodstream or metabolites for sure. Look, 30% of the uh, molecules hmm. in your bloodstream come from the bacteria in your gut. So that's that's, that's that's an eye opener right there. No, we didn't pay attention to it before. It's like that old uh, adage, you know, of the blind men touching the elephant. You know, one yeah. touches the trunk and thinks it's a snake. And so it seems like all of medicine so far, we've been touching maybe just the one part of the trunk of the elephant and the entire elephant we don't even see. We, we absolutely are. I mean, no longer could you just give a drug to treat somebody and not, at least I'm so close to this, I can't help but think, well, what is it doing to your microbiome? What is your microbiome tuning to the drug? You know, you're not just giving the drug and it gets in your system and everything's fine. Mm. You must understand the microbiome component to this. And I think it's, it's a big future going forward because it's a big deal for pharmaceutical companies. If they want to understand why only 30% of the people respond to their drug, obviously they're mm. looking at genetics, so that also is a component, but then they need to start looking at the microbiome. So any pharmaceutical company out there, the recommendation sounds like they need to look at the microbiome because they would make their drug a heck of a lot more effective or find something different if they took it into account. I believe so. I think that huh. that could be a whole new uh, you know research division for them. Instead of looking for new things, just find out why your drug could be, you know, how your drug could be made more efficacious. Well, what, what drives... Um, the particular conditions that you guys are looking into, why those and not others? Why have you guys decided to focus on them? Yeah, so we started there because, I mean, the GI tract is the main spot. Like, if you think about, you know, there's bacteria in us, on us, and around us, and you mentioned even, you know, in your eyes, ears, mouth, underarms, but the way majority is in your gut. And so that, coupled with the understanding of fecal transplants working, uh, really put the gut in the prime position, I would say, to start looking at. 
so that's what led us to the gut. And then, of course, more and more publications come out, and that just expands from there. But there's also a big, you know, it's known that your whole immuno uh, immuno response is big in the gut as well as metabolic and CNF. You know, the gut-brain axis is a huge, uh, huge interaction. What is, what is CNF? Oh, CNS, central nervous system. Oh, so, CNS. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. CNS. Yeah, I've heard about uh, a little bit about fecal transplants that, in some cases, they've changed people's personalities. Yeah, that, there's some interesting uh, unintended consequences that are anecdotal, right? Hmm. But, but I would, I'm here to say maybe there's something to it. I mean, I think that needs to be understood better. Yeah, definitely. So, so that's why you've chosen this model: is find out what the bacteria make isolate that and use that as a therapy because they're right it sounds like the new um the new rainforest where you're finding cancer drugs from plants yeah now instead it's a different rainforest inside of you you know yeah i I look at it like it's informed drug discovery because we're just simply going in and asking well what's already happening in your body can we you know find out what that is and make the molecule and use that as a drug so it's it's really rich i have to tell you you know in, in in three years we have found more than 30 proteins and peptides which work in in vivo models for the various diseases I mentioned, you know, GI disease, liver, metabolic immunology. And every time we look for something, we pretty much find something because bacteria are existing because they're actually, you're just feeding them, right? They're in your body, they evolve there, and they're providing beneficial effect. And in return, you give them carbon sources and nitrogen sources. That is it. So if you can find ones that are statistically correlated to certain metadata, they're there because they're doing something important. Every time we find some you know, we get a hit. So we have, you know, like a hundred percent hit rate in the preclinical stage of finding things. It's, it's awesome, and it's been done very quickly, I should say. In about three months from getting samples, we could get ideas on hits for potential new drugs. Wow. What about um, amongst people? How different are, are people's microbiomes? You know, mine versus yours, yours versus your your neighbors. Yeah. So variation these. Yeah. So so um, we have some of the same bacteria in us, but largely they're different. But I think functionally, there's an overlap. So you'll have, mm. you might have some of the different proteins that I have or some of the same ones, but the strains may be different. But functionally, the way you metabolize food could be similar to me, or you might metabolize a hamburger differently than I do. So there's some similarities. There's, there's probably more similarities in function, and there's less similarities in the individual strains. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, I guess it's, it's very good that there's this redundancy. Otherwise, it would yeah. make it really tough. Yes. Yes. I mean, look, we're alive today and we evolved with the bacteria. They, they were here first, 3.5 billion years ago. So they figured this out. They figured out how to keep us alive for food. <laughs> That's crazy. It is. It's weird to think That's that we're real. just, uh, we're their servants in a way, you know? Yeah. I mean, in a science fiction kind of way, you know, we, we, we're just uh, a complex orifice where they can live and, and thrive in. Yeah, and I guess, well, through the, the compounds bacteria make, they are are they turning on and off genes or changing gene expression over a human gene? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So the, the protein that we have that's going to go in for IBD, I mean, we see, uh, you know, we're busy figuring out the mechanism right now. We have some good ideas, but there's, there's quite a number of gene changes that they, you know, when this when this protein binds to a receptor, it, there's a lot of gene changes. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, in this case, it's good because you're getting a hep, uh, epithelial cell healing. But, yeah, it is. All right. Well, very good. Um Oh, last question. I think you kind of talked about this, but what what would it take time-wise and money-wise, do you think, at this point, to sequence every bacteria that's in, you know, a, a person's gut? Oh, I have to come back to you with a number on that. I have to look at how cheap the sequencing is today. The costs keep going mm-hmm. down, but it's more about 
putting together the, the genomes, because there's a couple of different ways you can go sequencing it. Before I give you an inaccurate answer, I need to get back to you on that. All right, no problem. Well, very good. So how can um, interested listeners, you know, get in touch and find out more about the second genome and what you're working on? Yeah, I mean, so we have a website, secondgenome.com. Uh, we have a lot of information on the website that's informative, and uh, we'll have more and more press releases coming out. So that's one good way. Okay. Well, very good, Glenn. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been really interesting. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You take care. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 